Hi, this is John and Valerie Domingo, and, and you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, August 27th, and this is your Sunday sermon. We're continuing in our sermon series, Lessons from Nehemiah. Today, in part three, we'll be looking at Nehemiah 3, verses 1 to 32, and we'll talk about working well with others. But before we do, would you join me in an opening word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I just praise your name. You are so good. Your love endures forever. Thank you for so many amazing promises in your word. And Lord, may perhaps the best of all, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, I pray that you'll come. We can just gather at your feet right now and hear from your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. How many of you watched some or all of the 2022 Winter Olympics? One thing was for sure. NBC was not very happy with their TV ratings. Just 11.4 million viewers, down 42% from 2018. But it was fun to watch the different winter sports. As the athletes competed, they were all seeking a medal and the recognition that comes along with it. Those who won a gold medal were held up as heroes. Now, while most of us have a desire to be recognized, our chances of competing at the Olympics are probably slim to none. Recently, I read about a fellow named Stefan Sigmund from Transylvania, Romania. He had been trying for many years to get his name in the Guinness Book of World Records. In 1996, in Bucharest, the capital city there, he smoked a whopping 800 cigarettes at once by placing them in a round Catherine wheel type device and puffing away for just under six minutes. But sadly, that attempt went up in smoke, so to speak. He discovered afterwards that Guinness no longer accepted those kinds of accomplishments. Another time, he ate 29 hard-boiled eggs in four minutes. Unfortunately, Guinness quit printing gluttony records in 1990. He also jumped into a lake from a 135-foot cliff, only to find out that the record for diving from a fixed point had already been set at 176 feet. People like to hear their name mentioned in a positive way. Our text for today, Nehemiah chapter 3, is basically a list of people who achieved some pretty major accomplishments. Alongside the medal winners, so to speak, there are a few who are listed because they never joined the team. And it's interesting that Nehemiah is not mentioned in this chapter at all. I think he really wanted to keep the attention on others. At first glance, this chapter looks really dry. One commentator refers to it as a colorless memorandum of assignments. It reads much like the book of First Chronicles with its long list of names that are difficult to pronounce, information that seems redundant, and chronology that seems meaningless. It sometimes can be really hard to muddle through. I remember many years ago listening to a Bible teacher reading the genealogy lists. Bless his heart, he did it with determination and good pronunciation. While it may be tempting to skip this chapter, and there was a moment when I thought about that, although it wasn't a big moment, it does contain some really great insights and principles that have direct application to our lives today, and I'm excited to be able to share that with you. Let me briefly set the historical context in case you've missed the last couple of weeks. In 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army captured the Jews. Jerusalem was destroyed, the walls were knocked down, and the temple was burned. The people were deported, and they were forced into slavery, and Jerusalem was left in ruins. 
but God did not forsake his people. In 539 BC, the Persians conquered the Babylonians and King Cyrus moved into power. King Cyrus made a decree to let some of the Jews return to their homeland. In three stages over about a hundred year period, they were allowed to migrate back to Jerusalem, only to discover that the city was still demolished and desolate. By way of review, through Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1, we learned that he was concerned about the problem of Jerusalem's desolation. He had a conviction about God's character. He confessed his sins. He was confident about God's promises, and he was committed to get involved. Last week, we journeyed with Nehemiah back to Jerusalem and discovered that as a contractor, he had five tools in his toolbox, waiting, trusting, praying, planning, and testifying. He also took on five different tasks, replenishing his resources, assessing the need, recruiting workers, inspiring confidence, and handling the opposition. Let me make two primary observations. Chapter 3 reveals Nehemiah's extraordinary gift of administration and organization. He was able to mobilize and empower 40 separate groups of people in the ingenious task of rebuilding the walls. This no doubt came about because of his careful assessment of the need during his moonlight reconnaissance mission in Nehemiah 2 verses 13 to 16. Second, this passage also shows how people working together can accomplish more than if just one person tried to do all the work. Underline in your Bible every time you see here in chapter 3 the following phrases, next to him, next to them, after him, and after them. Those four expressions. These expressions are recorded 21 times in this chapter. The biblical principle here is this. Every person is to be involved in ministry because everyone has a job to do. It's hard to find the right job, isn't it? Some of you are doing exactly what you need to be doing both in your career and kingdom work. Others of you are struggling to find your niche. It might help you feel better if you hear someone else's job history. Let me share with you this one fellow's story. He says, my first job was working in an orange juice factory, but I got canned because I couldn't concentrate. Then I worked in the woods as a lumberjack, but it just couldn't hack it, so they gave me the axe. After that, I tried to be a tailor, but I just wasn't suited for it, mainly because it was a so-so job. Next, I tried working in a muffler factory, but it was exhausting. I wanted to be a barber, but I just couldn't cut it. I attempted to be a deli worker, but any way I sliced it, I just couldn't cut the mustard. I studied a long time to become a doctor, but I didn't have any patience. I became a professional fisherman, but I discovered that I couldn't live on my net income. I managed to get a good job working for a pool maintenance company, but the work was just too draining. Next, I found being an electrician interesting, but the work was shocking. After many years of trying to find steady work, I finally got a job as a historian until I realized there was no future in it. I once heard another guy once say, I like work. It fascinates me. I can sit and look at it for hours. Have mercy. When it comes to the work of the Lord, there is no place for sitting on the couch and watching award ceremonies. As you'll see in this chapter, the wall workers accomplished an incredible task and in the process smashed a world record for teamwork. Let's take a look at the purpose of the work. Nehemiah was able to build his team around a central rallying point. That's always important. He pointed them to the purpose of the work, and it was this, the glory of God. They weren't just working on walls. They were worshiping their worthy God. The workers were bummed about the conditions of the city and disgraced in the presence of their enemies. 
it was difficult for them to sing out the truth of Psalm 48.2, which describes Jerusalem as high and magnificent. The whole earth rejoices to see it. They longed for God's city to regain its splendor and for God to get the credit. The purpose of ministry, and really all of life itself, is the glory of God. The Apostle Paul put it succinctly in 1 Corinthians 10.31 when he wrote, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Take a look at verse 1 of the text, chapter 3, verse 1. Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place. Now, folks, it's no accident that the list starts at the sheep gate. It's another way of saying, put God first. Close to the wall's northeast corner, this gate provided easy access to the temple and was given this name because all of the sheep that entered through it were going to be sacrificed. By beginning here, Nehemiah is establishing that their relationship with God was central. This was the most important place to start. They had a time of dedication right at the beginning of the construction project. We must make sure that we're dedicated to God before we begin working for him. This is critical. Don't make the mistake of focusing so much on the work or the task that you forget God himself. God is not impressed with your labor. He wants your heart. That's why worship must always precede work. Let me ask you, have you settled that question? Are you sold out to God, completely committed to him, totally devoted to him? Are you then ready to get to work? Because if you're not, then keep the main thing the main thing and do what 1 Peter 3.15 says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Next, let's look at the people in the work. One reason I think the Olympic ratings suffered last year is that everything was on tape delay. Do you remember that? If you wanted, you could find out what was happening or find out who won by looking on the internet, listening to the radio, or even reading a newspaper. If you've already read the book of Nehemiah, then you know the final results. The wall was built in a world record time of 52 days. And yet, and yet, just as it's interesting to watch the intricacies of Olympic competition, so too, as we dive into this chapter, we're going to see more of the details. We're also going to learn about several individuals, much like the human interest stories NBC aired on some of those athletes. I see six principles in this chapter that will help each of us work well with others. Here's the first principle. Leaders must set the example. Take a look at verse 1 again. If anybody in the city should have been busy with the work, it was the priests, for God's reputation was at stake. The high priest had no hesitation using his consecrated hands to swing a hammer and push a wheelbarrow. As befitting of the dignity of his office, he wore a sacred garment of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet, made out of fine linen. On the upper part, he had twelve precious stones set in gold, with the names of the twelve tribes of Israel engraved on them. On his head, he wore a dark blue turban with the phrase, Holy to the Lord, engraved on a diadem of pure gold. Now, just in case you didn't know what a diadem is, a diadem is a jeweled crown or headband. And yet, here's Eliashib picking up rubble and laying brick. I bet he had to have his clothes dry cleaned after that. Now, if you're a leader, others are looking hard at you and they're going to follow your example. If you are slow to work, they're going to be slow to work also. If you are full of discouragement and doubt, that's going to follow with them. In a wonderful way, the servant high priest Eliashib is a beautiful picture of the high priest to come who was and is the ultimate servant, Jesus the Messiah. I take seriously my joyful responsibility to be involved in the work and ministry as well. 
while you'll never catch me wearing garments like the high priest, I don't have a problem getting my hands dirty. Every day I try really hard to work hard to commit my time, talent, and treasure and my tools to the Lord's work. Ultimately, I'm trying to stay true to my calling. Sad to say, Eliashib did not remain true to his calling and later partnered with the enemy to create some serious problems for Nehemiah in chapter 13, verses 4 through 9. This serves as a good reminder to us. It's not as important how we begin a project, it's how we finish that counts. Some people who enthusiastically begin a job or ministry may drop out or even turn against it for some reason or another. The second principle that I found is God uses all kinds of people. Take a look at verse 8. It says, Uziel, son of Harhai, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. The Lord didn't need a thousand masons and carpenters to rebuild the wall. He just needed ordinary people who were willing to work. People from a wide variety of different backgrounds, trades, and localities gathered to work on the wall. The rulers and priests worked together with regular people, some even who lived 10 to 15 miles away. There was a place for everyone and a job for everyone to do. That's the beauty of gift-based ministry. One of our purposes as a church is to mobilize people for ministry. Here at Word of Hope Christian Church, we believe that God has gifted each of us and called each of us to be involved in a lifestyle of servanthood. As we use our gifts, we'll be fruitful, we'll be fulfilled, and the church will be fortified. One of the key words in this chapter is the word section. It's used 13 times. The wall was divided and people were assigned a certain section to work on. Likewise, just as no one person could construct the whole wall by themselves, so too you and I are called to work in a certain part of the kingdom. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. I'm sure you've heard that quote before. Romans 12:6 says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Are you serving in your area of giftedness right now? If not, it's time to jump in. Are you gifted in teaching? We have children at Word of Hope that need to be taught. Are you gifted as a musician or vocalist? Are you gifted with compassion and caring? We have people who need to hear from you. Are you gifted with greeting people? Are you gifted with hospitality? We have different sections here, as I'm sure many of you do in your own churches. Are you willing to volunteer to work on a section of ministry? The third principle of working well with others is some people will not work. Having said that, there is a place for everyone and a job for everyone to do. There's always, however, those who are going to refuse to exert themselves. Most people worked, but some shirked their responsibility. Take a look at verse 5 of the text. It says, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Tekoa was a town about 11 miles from Jerusalem, and while some of the people commuted to the job site, the nobles from Tekoa called in sick, so to speak. Actually, the text says that they would not put their shoulders to the work because they didn't want to follow orders. They were too proud to submit themselves to the supervisors of the job. They were too important to get their hands dirty. Nehemiah is using agricultural imagery here that describes a stiff-necked ox who refuses to be yoked. Anyone here today who doesn't want to roll up their sleeves and work? Anyone? Perhaps you're feeling like you're too important to spend time with someone who's hurting or teach our children or make a call or a visit to someone who's a shut-in. Jeremiah 48.10 is a stinging rebuke to those of us who just sit back with our arms crossed. It says, 
Cursed are those who refuse to do the Lord's work. By the way, those who are lax in the Lord's work are not only subject to a curse, they're also missing out on one of the greatest privileges of all time. I can't think of anything more rewarding than being involved in kingdom work. You can't beat it, can you? My wife Jeannie and I love giving our tithe because we know that our giving is going to be used for the kingdom work. We love serving because we believe it makes a kingdom impact. Some of the happiest Christians I know are those who are serving in their areas of giftedness. On the other hand, some of the grumpiest Christians I know are those who are pew potatoes and are not willing to put their shoulder to the work. The fourth principle is some will do more work. In every church and in any project, there's always going to be some who are slack in their serving. And at the same time, there's always going to be those who do more work than others. You've probably heard of that 80-20 rule. 20% of the people in church do 80% of the work. It is true in many cases and in other organizations as well. But even here in this case in chapter 3, remember those men from Tekoa that I just mentioned a few moments ago? Even though their nobles didn't help out at all, they still completed the next section of the way. And then to drop down to verse 27, it says, Next to them the men of Tekoa repaired yet another section. So refusing to allow the bad example of their leaders, these workers went the extra mile. I picture them coming up to Nehemiah and telling him that they finished their job. Nehemiah asked them if they wanted another section, and they said, Bring it on, man, we're in the groove. The men of Benui did the same thing in verses 18 and 24. Verse 18 says, Next to him the repairs were made by the countrymen under Benui, son of Henadad. Nehemiah 3.24, Next to him, Benui, son of Henadad, repaired another section. Another guy named Meshulam completed one part in verse 4 and then repaired an additional section in verse 31. And in verse 21, Merimoth, son of Uriah and son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the entrance of Eliashib's house to the end of it. So after he finished his assignment, he worked on the wall in front of his neighbor's house. How cool is that? There's a tendency within most of us to finish the work we volunteered for and then stop, stretch out our arms and say, Boy, that was great to do the Lord's work, but I am done for now. Not so with these guys. They knew that kingdom work is never finished. When we complete one job for the Lord, we just can't sit back and think we're fulfilled and our ultimate responsibility as a Christian is done. Friends, as long as there is work to be done in God's kingdom, there is work for you to do. In Matthew 5.47, Jesus addresses each one of us when he asks a very good question. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans, meaning non-believers, do that. The fifth principle of working well with others is this. Some will work with passion. In this entire chapter, there's only one guy mentioned who worked zealously. Look with me at verse 20. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabbai, zealously repaired another section. The Hebrew word means to burn or glow and suggests that Baruch burned a lot of energy. He was not just serving. The man was on fire. This is amazing because in Nehemiah 4, 6, we read that the people worked with all their heart. Everyone was working hard, but in a crowd of committed construction workers, Baruch stood out above the rest. We need people like him who will say, I really don't care what others are doing. I'm going to do my very best. Does anyone here today want to be like Baruch? Are you willing to go that extra mile and burn with zeal and passion in your service? Are you tired of just going through the motions? Are you ready to get fired up and work? Friends, let's kick it up a notch. 
If the truth were known, most of us could do a lot more with a lot more passion than what we're doing right now. The final principle from this great passage is that some people will work as families. They worked either on a section in front of their own home or another section away from their neighborhood. At least six different workers, plus an unknown number of priests, repaired the portions of the wall that were nearest to their own homes. If all of us would follow this example, our neighborhoods would look a whole lot different. Friends, look at your neighbors as your mission field. Befriend them, serve them, pray for them. I want to challenge each of you today with something. I want you to identify five neighbors that live near you and then commit to do three things. Pray for them, care for them, and share with them. As you pray for them, God is going to give you opportunities to care for their needs, which will open up avenues to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We're called to start at home, but we're not supposed to stay there. In verse 3, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hesanah. And in verse 12, the daughters of Shalom worked on the wall. As families, we have the opportunity to be used in our neighborhoods and in our communities. Instead of just looking at what we can do as an individual, think creatively about how you can include your entire family in the joyful task of kingdom building. As a church, we're committed to make an impact in our city, our county, our country, and on the continents. But it's got to first begin at home. In John 15:16, Jesus says, You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. In other words, Jesus told his disciples that he had appointed them to go and bear fruit. The word appointed means that he had strategically placed them. The key truth that emerged is this. God has placed each of us strategically right where he wants us to be. So let me summarize what we've talked about so far. If God's work is going to get done, we're called to cooperate with one another, not to compare or criticize. We must keep the main thing the main thing by never forgetting that God's glory is at stake. That's our mission. And we don't all give equally, but we can all make equal sacrifices. Remember that nothing has ever been done for God without hard work. In order to work well with others on a job that is much bigger than we are, at a task that demands everything we have, we need to recognize that, number one, leaders must set the example. Number two, God uses all kinds of people. Number three, some will not work. Number four, some will do more work. Five, some will work with passion. And six, some will work as families. I just love this time of year when the geese start making their way south. Do some of you like that too? It usually happens in the September, October time frame when they come down from Canada. One of the fascinating things about geese is that they normally fly in a V formation. Have you ever noticed that one side of the V is usually longer than the other side? Do you know why that is? It's because there's more geese on that side. Well, you might say, duh, obviously. Geese can cover thousands of miles before reaching their destination, and they can only get to where they're headed if they work together. Here are some facts about their flight patterns. By flying as they do, the members of the flock create an upward air current for one another. By flying in a V formation, the whole flock gets 71% greater flying range than if each goose flew on its own. When one goose gets sick or wounded, two fall out of the formation with it and follow it down to help and protect it. They stay with the struggler until he's able to fly again. And the geese in the rear of the formation, they're the ones who are honking. It's their way of announcing that they're following and everything's going well. The repeated honks encourage those in front to stay at it. 
You know, as I think about all of this, one lesson stands out above all others. It's the natural instinct of geese to work together. Like swimmers or runners on the United States Olympic relay teams, everyone has to do their part if they want to win a medal. Whether it's flapping, helping, or simply honking, the flock is in it together, and that enables them to accomplish what they've set out to do. I think about a song right now as I get ready to close. It was a chorus written back in 1982 by Kelly Willard, and it has some beautiful words. I'd encourage you to Google it on YouTube or wherever your social media platform is. These are the words, and they are so applicable as we complete Nehemiah chapter 3. Make me a servant, humble and meek. Lord, let me lift up those who are weak. And may the prayer of my heart always be, Make me a servant. Make me a servant. Make me a servant today. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.